Won't you please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. And I'm going to ask Ruth to come up here just to the keyboards for a while. Um, I want you to know that if you hear people talking while I'm talking, it's not because they've been uh, rebellious. Um, we have uh, interpret translation taking place uh, into both Mandarin and Cantonese this morning. And so, mm, so if you do need interpret translation, please, there are headphones for you. You can get headphones and uh, listen to, to this message in either Cantonese or Mandarin this morning. Um, Teresa's doing the English, I'm doing the Cantonese. And um, <laughs> so, Funying uh, and Lahoma. Okay, um, so I'm going to ask Ruth in a moment. Just. <laughs> Just Ruth to just play a little bit on the keyboards, just to soften it, because you may, I don't want you to be distracted by hearing those voices behind you. And uh, I'm going to be doing some reading before I, we look at the scriptures, because we're doing a series called Grace for Freedom and for Fruitfulness. And um, this is part three, and I believe that God's using this, mes- this message to bring about so much freedom in our lives. And uh, we're getting reports from other nations as well that are downloading off this message. And we believe that God is going to establish a move of the Spirit in Hong Kong that will literally touch the world. That's almost from the day I arrived in Hong Kong. God said, I'm going to move in this city. It's a gateway city. It's an international city. And it's a base city. And it's a, it's a city that will disseminate the fragrance of the gospel. Hong Kong means fragrant harbor. And we understand that comes from the incense or whatever. But I want to tell you, certain doesn't come from the real fragrance of the harbor. But, <laughs> but what, is, what is stated in the natural is also true in the supernatural. From this city, well, the fragrance of the gospel will be disseminated even back to Jerusalem from Hong Kong. And so in this series, as we are hearing about grace, it is, it is, it is dealing with the, the, the very issue that stops the supernatural. You see, people say, well, it's unbelief or it's our Western conditioning that stops the supernatural. Those are contributing factors. But the Bible makes it very clear the main reason why the church doesn't see the miraculous is because they come under law instead of living in grace. When the truth of the finished work of the cross is obscured, then people go into human effort and human endeavor and they go into dead works and they can be very zealous, but their zeal is without revelation knowledge. And so it's just the resources of humanistic ability. And you see unsaved people, people without a covenant can build business empires and build political and economic empires without God. So the human ingenuity can put a man on the moon and do all kinds of things. But you see, that is not talking about eternal substance from the eternal realm. That is this humanistic endeavor. And some of it's very good. And thank God we need that because God gave us those natural gifts to do that. But the kingdom of heaven is not built by human endeavor or human ability. It is an eternal kingdom governed by God. Now, the kingdom of heaven is not reigning everywhere on this planet. If the kingdom of heaven were reigning everywhere on this planet, then God would be a bad ruler because there is rape and there is molesting and there is war and there is hatred. So that's why Jesus said the way we pray is, Our Father who is in heaven, thou will be done. Let your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. He is proving by that prayer that the kingdom hasn't come to earth. 
the kingdom is in heaven, but the will of God is that His loving, beautiful kingdom come and invade this earth. That the king, where did we lose the kingdom? In the Garden of Eden, when Adam rebelled against God, and the, and so a Redeemer had to come, and the kingdom has to come. And it is foolishness to think politicians can solve the problems of man. They cannot. We they've had. 2,000 years. Politicians can't solve the problems of man. Nobody can. The kingdom is our only hope. The kingdom of God must break in. And so the signs of the kingdom breaking in is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is demons leaving people, tormenting oppressive spirits leaving people. It is cancer being healed. It's blind eyes opening. It's deaf ears opening. Now we can do some of that in the natural, but I want to tell you something. What That which is done in the supernatural shows forth the kingdom. We've got two surgeons in this church, and I'm telling you, I believe that, that, that God anoints surgeons to do the job well. He anoints skill and and I believe that surgeons who operate under the power of the Spirit of God are going to be able to do even greater things and they will even see manifestations of the power of the kingdom in an operating theater. So we're not kicking out the natural and natural abilities, but we're talking about the supernatural coming on our natural abilities, all right? And the supernatural is not to make us weird or strange or glassy-eyed or irresponsible in our places of uh, careers. But we see our careers as a vocation, as a calling of God. That we're all ministers. Everyone in this room is a priest of God. In every area of life, you are as much a priest as someone standing behind a pulpit saying, I can play dominoes better than you can. You're a priest of God. And you are manifesting the kingdom wherever you go. And church services coming together to be equipped, to be trained, to be anointed, to become more skilled in the supernatural, and then going out and doing the kingdom stuff out there, letting your light shine before men. All right. Church is not an escape from a horrible world that's beating us up. Church is a rallying place to be equipped and trained, and then go out and impact the world out there by the grace of God. There is not enough evil out there. There's not enough demons out there. There's not enough Satanists out there to stop you and me. One Christian with God is totally outnumbering those out there that have got wickedness. And we are not to be afraid. The church is not on the retreat, lagering itself into a monastic mentality, withdrawing from an evil world. We are salt and light going into the world. Salt brings flavor and light brings revelation of hope, of hope. Hey guys, I know the world's a bad place and I know there's tough things happening, but we talking to you about a kingdom that is breaking in a kingdom of love and joy and peace and forgiveness and mercy and signs and wonders and miracles the kingdom not churchianity not religion the kingdom of god nowhere does jesus or paul the apostle say preach christianity nowhere does it say preach the church it says preach the kingdom the government of god the glory of god the power of god god's righteous claim to this planet And one day God's going to sum up history in Jesus Christ and say, all the politicians, presidents and kings, time up, gentlemen. Now the kingdoms of this world and the nations of this world will become the kingdoms of Christ for the glory of God. And those that are in the kingdom will stay in the kingdom for eternity. And those who have ignored the Jesus Christ, ignored the word of God and the plans and the purposes of God to pursue their own kingdom are going to have their own kingdom for all eternity, cut off from the majesty of God's glory. See, part of the prayer, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. Part of that unstated part of the prayer is my kingdom go. To say your kingdom come, I'm saying Rob Rufus's kingdom go. What I would want for this church, what I want for my life, what I want that has to go, that his kingdom comes. 
Amen. And on this journey of learning grace, we are flying in the face of years of conditioning because we did not, most of us, if not all of us, did not grow up in a grace environment. We grew up in a performance pressure environment to perform to gain acceptance. If you got university degree, if you were very good at playing the violin and you, you got results in the sporting world, then you were honored as someone important. And for many of us who remember the terror of the day that our report cards came in from school. I know some of you may think I'm clever, but I'm not. I'm superior in intelligence, beyond clever. No. <laughs> but I, 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 I had an ability to memorize things. So I just learned everything off by heart at exams, which isn't fair. I could just read pages and just remember them and write essays on that. But listen... My brother and my sister were not good in that education system. And so the, the terror, the report cards come home and they're failing, they're failing and, 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 and the, the middle brother's doing well. You know, and the terror I used to see, I used to, now as I look back, I see the way that affected my brother Billy and my sister Roseanne. It affected them. Even though my parents did their best not to congratulate me above them. Sorry? compare they didn't try they did but folks they they could feel the performance pressure amen my dad was a top marathon runner was selected to run in the olympic games for the standard marathon and just before that the sanctions came in and south africa wasn't allowed to compete top marathon runner and i used to long for him to come and watch me run because i was doing fairly well I used to become first or second in most events and he was so busy he didn't have time to come and watch me and one day he came to watch me run and compete in the, in the uh, 1500 meters, which is like a mile race. And I, I didn't know he was going to come. And I looked up at the start and I saw him in the crowd. <laughs> I wish I hadn't seen him there because, because my dad was there. I went out so fast on the first lap. I was leading by a long way on the first and the second lap. I didn't run according to my normal strategy. I got carried away and I just... Man, I did the fastest lap in recorded history on the first, and my last lap was the slowest recorded lap. And one by one, chum, 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 and I came right near the tail end, and I just felt so terrible. My dad was embarrassed. See, a performance pressure to gain attention. And so then we, we then religion, religion excels in that. See, religion creates on purpose. Religion creates on purpose an addiction to guilt, a guilt system to give control to the priests, to control the people. That's what religion does. And can you imagine why religion would produce uh, dear precious Hindus taking sticks and, and sticking in knives and sticking in hooks and hanging themselves up by hooks and, and crawling 400 miles to the Ganges River on their faces? This is seen, as, this is seen in Hinduism as awesome. I can't even describe to you something that the Hindus will do. You'd be too embarrassed. But those that do that, it's awesome. Sticks and knives and, and hooks. And in the church world, not too long ago, monks, every time they felt temptation, would stick their fingers in a hot fire. Monks would sit up at the top of a pole and meditate for seven, eight, nine months and just sit there. Others would literally sleep on nails all night long, monks. And the religious world looked in awe at these people. Because it's a performance-based addiction to guilt and condemnation. And it has got nothing to do with the kingdom. It is totally demonic. There's one that died on a cross. There's one that paid the price. And it is finished. Amen. 
So what I'm trying to say is I realized last week when I was preaching that, that there was tension building to some degree because you see there's one belief system that's coming in conflict to another belief system and this creates internal tension. And so this week I felt God just give me something to read to you. So I wrote this down. I wrote this down. There's a few things that I've written down here and I would love you just to listen very carefully and just don't take notes here. You're not going to be able to. I'm just going to read my material. Now most of you know I don't like reading from notes. I like to preach a bit more spontaneously. But I'm just going to read from these notes before we just look at the scriptures here. And, um, and I believe this will be very helpful for some of you doing this journey with me. Making a transition. Let me just say this. Most of us in the church world are not making a transition from pure law to pure grace. The majority of Christians believe in grace, but they don't quite see the clarity that they're no longer under law at all. So most Christians on this planet, if not all at this stage, are living with a mentality of a mixture of law and grace. A mixture of old and new. It's a mixture. And it's that very mixture that's stopping the miraculous. It's that very mixture. So most of us are making a transition from law mixed with grace to absolute pure grace. Alright? That's, that's what's happening. So I want you just to listen to this. Making a transition from a law mentality or a mixture of law and grace mentality towards a total grace mentality will lead to the most wonderful, liberating, and supernatural results in our lives and personalities. But, say but, but there is something that it is so vitally important that we need to understand. The journey from law mixed with grace to total grace may not always be may not always in the initial stages be accompanied by joy, but sometimes by feelings of torment. And I'll tell you why. Because if relating to your heavenly father by law mixed with grace is something you and I have been conditioned to do for years, then there will be some internal conflict when we hear the clear teaching of the New Testament that in Christ you are no longer related to the law at all anymore. That Christ is the end of the law, Romans 10:3. That you are dead to the law and released from the law, Romans 7. That you're no longer a prisoner of the law of God and you're no longer under the supervision of the law of God. And that you are redeemed from the curse of the law. And that God is not counting your sins against you because he made Jesus who knew no sin to be made sin for us in order that we would be given the gift of righteousness of God. And just as Jesus did not have to do any acts of sin to be made sin, so we don't have to do any acts of righteousness to be declared the righteousness of God. And so we... Oh, I just loved reading that. Oh, I enjoyed that. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus who knew no sin but he was made to be sin it says for us so him being made sin did not require him to do acts of sin but he was made it by God as a declaration at the cross so in the same way you and I are declared to be righteous or made to be righteous in status and standing equally so not by acts of righteousness we've done or are doing right now. That is the gospel. I think that's why they call it good news. And therefore, from Romans chapter 4, we've seen Romans chapter 5, Colossians chapter 2, 
and also 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says clearly, folks, and these things have to be clear, that God is not counting our sins, past, present, or future, against us. That's the scriptures say that. Religion says God is counting your sins. Well, He is if you're not in Christ and under law. But if you come to Christ, redeemed from the curse of the law, He stopped counting sins. It's not the issue anymore because the sin issue has been totally dealt with by the righteous integrity and justice of a holy God at the cross where He made Jesus your sin for you so that you can be made righteous as a status. He's not counting our sins against us. And that the gospel has nothing to do. I know there's going to be a shock, but the gospel has nothing to do with God our Father pointing out our faults and pressurizing us with guilt to change. But the gospel is all about how God has changed the way He relates to us from the old covenant to the new covenant. I said last week that there are no Christian duties to do. No Christian obligations except to believe Jesus is sufficient. And it like people just sucked the air out of this place and went into like... Told me after when you said that. But then I went on and says, I went on and said, if we could just take the obligation and the guilt manipulation and all the Christian duties and what you meant to do, just take that off people because that's, it happens when the law is taken of us, all obligations are taken from us. If we can just take the law off people by revelation and they realize they belong to Jesus and they don't have to do anything to please Him, then a whole lot of want-tos start rising up in our hearts. I want to do things. I want to pray. I want to be in the Word. I want to give. I want to be generous. I want to evangelize. Amen. And all God's people is to have a long enough time to get the obligations off so a whole lot of the want-tos start rising up. See, when we first got saved, think about this. When we first got saved, we were filled with that first love and we were filled with what's called the joy of our salvation. Is that right? Okay, how many Christians do you find 20 years later walking in the joy of their salvation? What happened, folks? They got married to Jesus. They got set free from the law. And then the church says, wow, it's wonderful you're saved. But now that you're saved, you need to do this. You need to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't dress like that. And we put them right back under the law. And so they start trying to fulfill obligations. And they lose sight of the joy of their salvation. And what do people do when they come to the priest and the pastor and they say, I've lost the joy of my salvation. I used to have it years ago. It's gone. And then the pastor goes down the checklist. Well, are you praying an hour a day? No. Have you been in the Word lately, you ugly thing? No. I see it now, pastor. I can see why I lost the joy of my salvation. No, you silly thing. You lost the joy of your salvation. See what, see what they try to tell them to get their joy back? Notice the technique. You get your joy back, do this, do this, do that. So it's a works treadmill that is, that is in the gospel. That, and it's not the gospel at all. And it's, it's been exported around the world. This bondage that I'm talking about has been exported around the world being called the gospel. I wish they wouldn't call it the gospel. Call it the Zama Zama religion. See, the reason why they lost the joy of their salvation because they thought that joy came from works. It's the joy of our salvation. We really believed it at first. And then we drift. Back under law. All right, where am I? Thank you. All right. <laughs> the gospel is. See, the law comes at us and shows us our faults and points at our faults, and it's very good at that. And that's the purpose of the law before we saved to point our faults out. 
Because we're self-righteous before the law. We don't think we need a Savior. We all think we're going to heaven. Before I was saved, I was convinced heaven was waiting for me. But I was living in rebellion and I hated God. But God owed me heaven for it. But one day the law of God, the standards that exacting and perfect standards of God were revealed to me in the law. And when I saw I'm going to be judged by the law standards, I knew I didn't measure it up and I would be guilty. And what that did, it drove me to the Savior and I found a wonderful, forgiving, redeeming Savior. And then I died to the law and I was set free from the law. Once you come to Christ, the law has no purpose in your life at all. But if you put it back over your life, the law will keep doing its job, making you feel unworthy, guilty, manipulating you with condemnation. Not counting our sins, past, present, or future against us. And that the gospel has nothing to do with God, God our Father pointing out our faults or pressurizing us with guilt to change. But the gospel is all about how God has changed the way he relates to us from the old covenant under law to the new covenant. This is meant to bring such security and confidence in our relationship with our heavenly father. But sometimes in the initial stages, this can cause insecurity on the inside of us. Because although it is extremely good news, there can occur tension because one belief system is beginning to challenge the other belief system. And our subconscious mind is saying, well, you know, I've always lived under a mixture of, of, of law and grace. So how do I know this total grace one is true? How do I know if I let go of the old familiar one for the new one that I'll be held up? Maybe I'll just run out and just become a terrible sinning person because see, the laws, you know, it's the law that's holding me in restraint. The law holds no one in restraint, friends. The law stirs up sin, Romans 7 says. I want to just say this. People sin under law and they sin under grace. But when the preacher preaches law and restraint and you, know, you better not do this, better not do this, and the people go out and sin, people never blame the preacher. They say, oh, what a great preacher. It's the people's fault. But when the preacher preaches grace and people sin, they say, oh, it's the preacher's fault. So that's why a lot of preachers avoid preaching this. See, Paul the apostle was a holy apostle and he preached grace. And he had people sinning in the churches. It's amazing today when there's sin going on in the church, the world's, oh, it's not enough law. No, I'm saying it's not enough grace. Because, you know, people are going to get free from sin more and more. And we're going to talk about how to live free from sin or get victory over sin in a few weeks' time, in about two months' time. <laughs> but we're going to look at the scriptures and, and you're going to find out that it's so wonderful. It's not by law. And our Father's not all hung up about some of the struggles you have, like you think He is. And when you think it's God saying, oh, I hate that now, I really get it, just disapproving of you. That is not your heavenly father. That is the law and Satan getting behind the law and condemning you. And so there's this insecurity. Anyway. Oh, where am I? You're listening so well, you distracted me. The question is, how do I let go of the old one for the new one? We don't like the unfamiliar. We want to stick with what we've always had. Will the new one hold me up and enable me to grow in my relationship with God? Okay, the solution to that tension is twofold. The solution to that tension is twofold. Number one, to recognize what is causing the tension, and I've just described what is causing it. Number two, to clearly examine the scriptures and see if the New Testament apostolic message of total grace, apart from the law, is upheld clearly in the New Testament. And when you see that the New Testament clearly does that, 
then the tension rapidly decreases and a genuine joy breaks free in your life. This is because the superstructure of the law that has been over our minds collapses and often it will feel like you've been born again, again. There comes an inrushing of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and our lives and our communion and fellowship with Jesus becomes delightfully intimate. That is beyond words. The blessings of God as well as the gifts of the Spirit accompanied by the fruit of the Spirit with signs and wonders increase in our lives spontaneously and automatically to overflow into family, marriage, church places of employment, etc. So good so far. Just read a little bit more here. When we came to Hong Kong, we clearly felt a mandate from God not to try and fill buildings with people, but to fill people with God. We came to Hong Kong not to fill buildings with people, but to fill people with the grace of God. And he said, if you, if you, will, if you will live to fill people with, with me, then I will live to fill buildings in all over Hong Kong with people. I would rather, this is the truth now, I would rather sell hamburgers on a street corner for my living than sell my soul to some religious system that subtly by innuendo and implication imposes its convictions and preferences upon my conscience. Galatians chapter 3, and if we see, uh, I'll just read it to you, don't worry. I want to just move through this quickly. You see, the early church had a constant struggle. They kept going back to law. And even some of the apostles drifted occasionally. They had to be corrected. Paul says in Galatians 3.1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Say bewitched. Now we know that word is very clear in the Greek. And if you look it up, it's, it's a cultic demonic power. There's a witchcraft spirit that's against grace. And it fights it like anything. I fought it for one hour preaching our last Sunday morning. I've never felt such an intense spirit of witchcraft attack me as I did last Sunday morning. And it really has encouraged me because it's a sign that we are breaking through. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? And he goes on to show very clearly that the miraculous was in their midst because they believed the message of the finished work of the cross. Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. It is finished. Now we can come boldly through, through grace and the miracles break out. But they had gone back under law to try and accelerate their process of growing in holiness. And became impatient with grace and referred back to the law and the miracles dried up. The spirit of witchcraft wants to keep God's people burdened down, oppressed with fear, confusion and anxiety. Listen to this. Witchcraft is terrified that God's people may one day actually fully believe the message of grace and walk in the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit's liberating presence and signs, wonders, and miracles. The spirit of witchcraft is desperate to indoctrinate, condition, and coerce God's people into a culture of conformity that is controlled by a spirit of condemnation that drives God's people to seek to satisfy an angry, disapproving God who is very difficult to please. To do this, it must, the spirit of witchcraft to do this, it must blur, obscure, 
and confuse the fullness of the truth that all God's anger with your and my sins was completely dealt with at the cross. God's Father heart now has only grace, favor, mercy towards those in Christ Jesus. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, the veil in the temple split from top to bottom, making it very clear that, God, that there is nothing else required of us to do to have God's presence except to believe that Jesus, is, Jesus finished all the requirements, requirements of God for us. Jesus measured up for us so that we can all walk in the mighty presence of God. The religious leaders of the day, this is historically true, they went right back and sewed that curtain up and pretended that the cross made no difference at all. The temple worship in Jerusalem, the temple, the place that hid the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the Holy of Holies was there, and all the laws and rules and shedding of blood of animals and all the rituals, and to, to have the presence of God hidden behind the veil. And once a year, the high priest went in behind the veil. Everyone else was kept out of the presence. When Jesus said, it is finished, the Bible says the, the, the veil split from top to bottom. What? God's presence comes out for those who will believe. Do you know what they did? Do you know what the religious orthodoxy of the day did? Religious orthodoxy went and literally sewed that curtain up and carried on practicing religion as though that the cross had made no difference to all. And they said, we're still doing it today in the church. And so I wrote a poem. I want to give this poem to you and then I'm going to give a few scriptures to you. The theme of witchcraft, there is theme of dead religion, is this song. This is their theme song. Let's pretend that the cross made no difference at all. Here's my little poem. Much depression at the Pharisees' convention. <laughs> Much doubt, skepticism, and unbelief. Cynicism is their creed. Poverty is what they preach. But it's really too hard, their greed. Guilt and gloom is seen as a virtue. But it's really so that they can leech and keep the people of God from the power of God's seed. Laughter is frowned upon and frowns are smiled upon joy is under sus suspicion freedom is seen as superficial bondage slavery and fear and the hope that the woes of the world will grow and very few to heaven will go is their grand vision come one and all and volunteer put the yokes upon your neck and their burden on your back Sew up the curtain wall and let's pretend that the cross made no difference at all. And I want to tell you, the cross made every difference. Give Jesus a hand for the cross. Now, relatively briefly, what we're looking at, and just we'll just push a little bit into it and pick it up next week. What we're looking at here is how does the blessing of God come into your life? How does the blessing of God flow in your life? You see, I happen to believe the Bible clearly teaches that blessings are not for some sovereign season. But the blessings are meant to come on us and overtake us in all of life. It's, that's our inheritance as Christians. But the law will stop that. And the, the, what we need to look at clearly in the Word of God, are what are the conditions to receive the blessing of God? Is the condition keeping the law? Or is the condition, like many religious people say, no, no, the condition is not just the law. The condition of getting the blessing is a mixture of law and grace. 
And I want to show you from God's word, not my opinion, the condition for receiving the blessings is to make sure you don't operate under law and that you operate in the grace of God. Now, I know a lot of pastors and I've been guilty of doing this myself and I stand guilty as charged that I've done this. In 25 years of ministry, I've preached at times a mixture of law and grace. When I came to Hong Kong, God said, no more, boy, no more. See, I hear preachers and I did it myself. We'll say, it's not a mixture of law and grace to get the blessings. It's no law at all. It's all grace. You don't deserve any of it. It's just all grace. And then we say to God's people, but... You know, if you're on a first fruits, if you get up first thing in the morning and you pray for 10 minutes before you do anything else and you put God first in the morning, then the Lord will bless you because of the first fruits. What have we just done? We've just said you got to do something. And, it's, and we all suck it in because it sounds, yes, of course, God deserves to be put first in the morning. Folks, God deserves everything. But the truth is he knows we don't know how to give him everything. That's why he's put us on a covenant of grace. Because you see, if you're under covenant of law, there's no hope you can get one blessing. I'll show you that now. You see, if you're under law, you've got to keep all the law all the time to get blessed. And if you don't, our holy God will have to judge you by the law. I don't know about you, but my logic says it's very hard for God to bless me and judge me at the same time. If you're under law, God's holy righteousness has to judge. Because He's so perfect. Nothing but perfection will please God. So in order to get the blessing, folks, you've got to be 100% in grace and you have to have revelation and you have to know that. You know, I've heard preachers, I've done it myself. If you do this, you do that, then the blessing will come. But remember, you're under grace, not under law. Hey, come on. Now, let me just tell you the truth. I, I've got to be right up front here. Most of my Christian life, I've sought out the grace of God and I've had understanding and revelation of grace and I'm growing in it. And it is a journey. And I've loved praying and I spend time with God. Let me just tell you, I pray with God, I spend time with God every day, but I do it like, like I do my breathing. <laughs> I don't have a special quiet time. I don't have an allocated time. There's sometimes I say, all right, on Wednesday, I'm going to take some time out, one hour, and I'm just going to be alone with God because I want to. It's not to get the blessing, it's because I want to. Amen. Now, for 29 years as a Christian, please hear this, don't get under condemnation yet. Glenn and I have tithed. But you see, God owns more than one-tenth. He owns everything, folks. He owns everything. But we've given one-tenth, and then way over one-tenth, we've just given into the local church. We've done that. Now, I promise you, by revelation, I've done that not to get the blessing, but because I'm under the blessing. In Romans 15, Abraham, who was under grace, totally under grace, tithed to Melchizedek. And you can clearly see he was not tithing to stop the curse coming on him. He, the law hadn't arrived yet, folks. People say, well, tithing's under the law. Well, what about Abraham, who was living 430 years before the law arrived, and he tithed? But he did not tithe to stop the curse of the devourer. He tithed because he had the blessing of God. And we know, this is not a boast, we've probably given millions of dollars into the kingdom, into local church life. I don't give it out there in that group and that group. I put it into the place that I am located in. i just got to teach this clearly. But let me tell you this. I, the more revelation I've got, I've realized I'm not tithing and bringing offerings to the local church because I'll, I'll be cursed if I don't. Folks, that's Malachi 3. I don't live under Malachi 3. You, the, you know, tithe and the Lord will rebuke the devourer. God rebuked the devourer at the cross. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. So, you know, you can't say Jesus' death on the cross opened the heavens for you, but you're not tithing will close him to you. 
You are putting a condition on the blessing and I'm telling you, I cannot preach that. I cannot have, I don't want to lead congregations where we teach the people, hey, Jesus is unconditional. The blessing is totally by grace. But if you don't tithe, the curse of the devourer will come steal all your money and your crops will die on the vine. We've just, we've just, folks, we've just totally annihilated the whole doctrine of grace. And put people right back onto mixture of law and grace. And that's why I tell you, much of the church today is living in mixture of law and grace around the world. Because people are not, they're confused. They're just confused. A whole lot of want-to spring up in your heart when you don't have to. And the grace of God just makes you generous. You know, people living under law. Imagine, imagine when someone stops doing something because you take the law away from them. Well, I praise God, I'm not in law, so I'll stop tithing. What was their motive? Just expose the motive of their heart. Their motive was fear, not love of God. Fear of the curse. So they were doing something that was dead works. No, folks, let me just tell you something. You don't have to tithe. Exactly, John. It's, it's, I, I, I died to the Lord that I may belong to another. See, some people think they come out of the law and then they wander around in this vacuum. You come out from under a fault-finding, overbearing husband called the law that you may belong to another loving, gracious, merciful, great high priest, a redeemer. And so the things that you do, the tithing, the giving of finances, the giving of your whole life, is not because you have to. See, I, I don't have to forgive people that offend me and hurt me because I don't have to. God's not counting even my unforgiveness against them. Now, that's a shock to you, but that's the truth. You're not counting my sins against me. The reason I forgive people that have offended me is not, it's because I don't have to. So I do it because I want to. And it's a whole different motive, folks. Hebrews chapter 8. Just have you, did you find a banner? <laughs> Thank you. You can have a rest now, Ruth. Well done. All right, let's just have a quick look here. Hebrews chapter 8. And this is, this is, this is exciting scripture now. I know we're a bit, we've been going a bit long here. But hey, we haven't got a service tonight, so let's. <laughs> right, we're we'll cancel tonight's service. All right. Let's have a look, folks. We've got to see this in the Word of God for ourselves. Now, let me just say this. When I say we're not under the law, we're not under the old covenant, and I don't say that the Bible says that. The book of Hebrews says the old covenant is obsolete. It is now redundant. There's an everlasting covenant in effect. But when I say that, I do not mean Abraham. I mean Moses. See, God came to Abraham and called Abraham, who was an Iraqi, in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham became the father of the faith, and he became the father of Israel from Iraqi. And he was a demon-worshipping man, and God came and saved him by grace. And the book of Genesis shows us that God made a covenant with Abraham. He actually cut a covenant by putting Abraham to sleep. And God walked through the covenant slaughtered ox. And God made a covenant with Abraham. But he said to Abraham, I'm going to put you to sleep because I don't want the fallibility of man involved in this covenant. Because if man gets involved in this covenant, man's fallibility and weakness and potential to sin could make this covenant a weak covenant. So I'm going to cut this covenant within the Trinity on behalf of man. 
So God puts Adam to, Abraham to sleep, but he is under the power of the Spirit, but he's still conscious. And then God, in a, Jesus Christ, the light of glory, walks with the Father through the covenant cutting. And God takes an oath and He swears blessing upon Abraham and Abraham's seed, not on the basis of law or keeping the laws. Amen? Amen. 430 years later, the law arrived under Moses. That's the old covenant. And that's the covenant that's now redundant, not the covenant God cut with Abraham. When Jesus died on the cross, He redeemed us from the curse of the law that the blessings of God may be given, the blessings of Abraham may be given to the Gentiles by faith. So Jesus on the cross fulfilled and finally cut the covenant in truth that was done potentially in shadow with Abraham. Are you still with me? Abraham's covenant has never been set aside. Jesus Christ fulfilled the covenant. It's the law that came 430 years later. That's been now taken out the way. Alright, so now look at Hebrews 8, verse 6. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one and it is founded on better promises. Now, I don't know about you folks, but my ears pick up at those phrases, superior mediator, better covenant, better promises. So my curiosity goes, how is the new covenant better than the Mosaic covenant? How is it superior? How does it improve on? Hey, because if I found something better, superior, then I'm going to go with that only, and I want to leave the inferior away. I don't want it anymore. But you see, many Christians don't know how the new covenant is superior and better. So they mix the old and new together. They don't even know they're doing it. And I've done it. Guilty as charged. I know none of you have. So let's quickly find out how the new covenant is superior to the Mosaic covenant. Let's go to Deuteronomy 28. Very quickly. Oh, we've still got plenty of time. All right, here's the conditions of the Mosaic covenant. This is Moses speaking to Israel. God has just told them the law. He's told them the Ten Commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the standards and rituals and a whole paraphernalia of laws that governed Israel. He's just told them all of these things. Now notice verse 1. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1. Folks, we're not going to go on much longer, but just stick with me. Right, here are the conditions for the Old Covenant. Verse 1. If you fully, say fully. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands, say all His commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth and all these blessings will come upon you. Now we're about to read them in a little while, some of the most phenomenal blessings that God says is my will to give you, Israel. Folks, I just got one little problem with that, although it's a big one. The condition is not partial obedience, but if you fully obey me and be careful to keep all the commands. I don't know if you saw the small print, because I don't know what glasses some Christians wear, because if they get excited about that, they are weird. If that's the condition for me to get the blessing from heaven, I must fully obey the Lord and careful to keep all his commands. Now, look, I'm arrogant and stupid enough that if the Lord said, Rob, if you will try to keep some of the commands and just have a go at trying, then I will bless you. I'm stupid and arrogant enough to think I could have a go at that. 
But when he says fully obey and be careful to keep all the commands, my ego is totally deflated. See, the law is designed not to flatter man, but to absolutely cut man's arrogance from under his feet. It was never meant to make us righteous. It was never meant to be a basis of the blessing. It was meant to cut our arrogance and our self-righteousness and pull the rug right under our feet and put us to death. See, when it says fully obey everything, Israel should have said, No, we don't want this. We want Abraham. But their arrogance didn't understand this. See, if, if people think today, well, I can get the blessings by fully obeying the Lord and keeping all His commands that He tells me to do and all the law and all the rules, it shows me they haven't studied the spirituality of the law. I have. Amen. The spirituality of the law is awesomely exacting. It is ruthless. The standard of the law is ruthless. It is without mercy. And not just the Ten Commandments. There's a whole lot of other laws that most Christians don't even know are there. And folks, it doesn't matter if you break laws in a nation and you say, oh, well, I was ignorant. You're getting judged. (laughs) People are getting judged for laws that don't even exist. You see, and Galatians chapter 3 says, you have to obey all the laws, and if you don't obey everything perfectly, Galatians 3.10, you're under a curse. So there is no gap here. There's no escape. See, well, oh, well, I could just break a few. In the, no, it says, oh, you've got to break fully. Oh, you've got to get this clear right now. I'm going to labor it. Oh, fully, careful, all, oh, all the time. One shortcoming judgment curse of the law. Boom on you. But hey, if you fully obey and keep all, oh, then all these wonderful blessings are going to come on you. Aren't you excited? <laughs> See, in Hong Kong, how many laws do you have to break before the police come to your door? They don't say, oh, you can break two, yeah, rob a bank, murder, sell a few drugs, rape. No, okay, that's fine. That's only five. Okay, six. Okay, six. Seven. Okay, no, no. First time you break a law, judgment. You cannot be being judged and blessed at the same time, friends. The only hope I have in this is Hebrews 8, 6. We have a better covenant with superior mediator, with better promises. And so anything this covenant gives, Jesus is a huge improvement on. All right, look at, look at, look at, read it again. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now, this is God's will to bless us, the church, like this. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hands to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as as his holy people, as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you're called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. Put this into modern context. In the land he swore to the forefathers to give you, the Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God, 
that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any, say any, any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. However, say however. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and will overtake you. You can run as hard as you can. The curses will overtake you. I'm meaning Christians in Hong Kong, Glenda as well. You just Everything's going wrong in their life. And they're just not in church anymore. And they're just and guilty. And I'm thinking, gosh, can't you see? You're meant to be in Abraham's blessing. But you don't have clarity on the subject, so you're confused. And if you don't come and sit under the word, there's not much we can do bumping into you in the marketplace, or in the supermarket. You know, Israel unwisely said, okay, Lord. And if you study the Israel, the history of Israel, it is a nightmare. I don't know of a nation that has come under such judgment. You know, when Hitler killed six million Jews, it wasn't because God doesn't love Israel. You know, every time I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm praying for Israel more because Jerusalem is the center of the world again. What's happening there is going to affect the whole planet very soon, very soon. And every time I pray, oh God, the peace of your government on the, people, on the land of Israel and the people of Israel. And I pray for the government of Israel. And don't let them give any more land that God sworn an oath as an everlasting covenant to that land. It's not Palestine. Palestine is the name of a Philistine demon God. That after Rome came into Jerusalem, about 70 years after Jesus died on the cross, and Rome came under Titus, and they sacked Jerusalem and killed one and a half million Jews and scattered them into the nations of the world. And they so hated this monotheistic belief in a single God that Rome cursed the land of Israel and said, we will now call it Palestine, the name of a demon Philistine God. That's why I will never call Israel Palestine. It belongs to God's people, the Jewish nation, even though they're not born again yet. But their life is just a, a story of curse after curse, and then every now and again breakthrough and blessing, but then curse and curse and curse. And they're the seed of Abraham. They were meant to walk in the blessing. But they didn't, instead of saying, give us what Abraham got, they took the law. And the church today is weak because it's taking the law and mixing it with grace. Now, let's go to a few more scriptures and we must close. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I believe revival is coming to Jerusalem. I believe Jesus is going to be revealed in Jerusalem. And they will look upon him they wounded. And they will mourn and repent and come to Christ. I believe that soon. Soon. Whatever your stands on that, it doesn't matter. But God still is not going to give up on Israel. The world has. The world would love to get the United Nations in, in Jerusalem. And take over. Satan wants to get in. The Antichrist wants to get in through the United Nations and get Israel to surrender land to a group of people whose own book, the Quran, and their teachings cannot have a state of Israel. It should not exist. Israel's there in the land. They're going back 40 years. In 1948, they came back from all the nations of the world with their Hebrew language, are back in the land according to Daniel and Jeremiah and the prophets of the Old Covenant. They're back in that land and it contradicts the Quran. So they can't handle Israel being there. You've got to kill and wipe out Israel. There's no negotiating with a group of people that say our basic theology is the total destruction of Israel because their existence contradicts the Quran. But it honors the scripture. You know what? If Israel disappeared from Israel right now and they were taken over, I would throw my Bible away because it would mean this Bible isn't true. 
Now, that shocks some people. They're in there by the promise. I don't know why I'm going down this road, but anyway. Okay, calm down now, Rob. Let's just quickly look at John chapter 1. All right. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Say, full of grace and truth. And then look at verse uh, 16. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the law was given through Moses. The condition of that law, fully obey that law. Be careful to keep it totally. And then you would get the blessing. But Jesus Christ came, not with law, but with grace and truth. And from the fullness of His grace, we have received one blessing after another. Amen. All the Deuteronomy 28 blessings is God's will for our lives in Christ Jesus. The blessings God gave to Abraham is God's will. Now, I'm gonna, I've only got about halfway through my message, so obviously I'm going to finish now and pick it up next week. Um, so please don't miss next week. Okay, look in Galatians 3. Let's read this one scripture now and we close. Rob, do you love the, peop the Palestinian people? I do. I pray for the Palestinian people. We've got many Christian brothers and sisters in, amongst the Palestinian people that God loves. And God loves all the Palestinian people. But we've got to keep our theology right. Otherwise, we just get swept up by the politicians of the day. America's roadmap to peace? I think the American government should go and look at some of the theologians and what they know about the Word of God and then adjust the roadmap to peace based on not cutting up land that God swore and giving it away. I wonder what happened to Sharon when he started proceeding with giving land away. You see, this is an awesome God we're serving, friends. And the politicians and the secular humanists that have kicked God out of the world, <laughs> but fortunately their kick isn't big enough. God's just, just, God's just rolling on with His eternal plans and purposes in the nations of the earth. And the arrogance and defiance of man is getting worse and worse. But the purposes of God have been made manifest. And I want to be a cooperator with God's purpose. I want to have revelation. I want to know the prophetic times and seasons I'm living in. I want to know how to pray. I want to know how to pray for the world. I want to know how to pray for you. By revelation, because I know what the Scriptures teach. I mean, these people that say, well, I don't need to go to church. I just love the, you know, being out there and I just love this and I love that. And I think, how can you know a God just by the creation? That is the most furthest distance from God. You can see something of God, but this creation is under curse. God didn't create cancer and war, wars and earthquakes and famines and tsunamis. That came in as a result when sin entered the world through first Adam. So you can't even fully know God from this creation. You've got to know God by revelation, by supernatural impartation of His Word and His Spirit making the living God. And you can't know the purposes of God or the plans of God for your life until you know who God is. Otherwise, you just look at the creation. You'll make up a God of your own imagination and the God of your own imagination will lead you in your plans. And that'll be a wasted life. You'll eat food, pass it through your body, take up space and grow old and then die and face this God. And you've lived the whole life of trivia. 
God did not create this planet for us to walk around as our own little gods, walking under our own little kingdom, doing what we want, building our own religion. There is a God of Israel, a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a living God, an awesome God. He is there, and He is coming, and He is governing, and He is going to wrap up history, and there is a consummation and a climax to the ages, and it is coming, and we're heading rapidly for it. And Jesus said, in that time, there'll be people just wandering around going, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? I'll pop into church if I feel like it. Come on, guys. God's breaking in His kingdom. All right. That's it. Just knock that little tantrum. Thank you. I thought I needed the exercise. I just need to get my heart rate up to 80%. Okay. Let's definitely try and close here. Put our faith now for a close, all right? If I don't close quickly, it'll be because of your unbelief. (laughs) What's that? I love you, love. (laughs) Just let peace have a go. (laughs) You, me, and John Lennon, love. (laughs) Imagine there's no heaven. (laughs) Secular humanism. Imagine there's no heaven. Anyway, don't let me go down that road. Thanks, Pam. No, I do appreciate that. I know people are hungry here and people are listening, and I appreciate that, that you're hungry. I just don't want to keep you beyond reality. Plus, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, hey? <laughs> I know. Look, my biggest fault is this, guys. I've got too much to say. That's my problem. This subject is so valuable right now that I just want to dump the whole lot on you in one Sunday. You know, I said to God the other day, I said, I wish we had three weeks. We could meet every night for three weeks because a momentum happens. You know, you get, a, you, get a, you get an inspiration, yeah, and then you've got to try and walk through the whole week and then it's kind of dilutes and then we get another one. If we could just have intense, you know, just, just sparks, tung, 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 tung. eventually after three weeks, we just come out, ah, oh, no, I can't see it. I can see it. I can't see it. Not, not a little glimpse here and a little glimpse over there, you know. A little glimpse of here and a little glimpse. Do you know that you live over 8,000 hours a year? Over 8,000 hours a year. I have about 30 hours a year with you, preaching to you. So I know we've got about how many weeks? 55? On average, people. 52. In Hong Kong, because of the busyness of the city, on average, people come to about 30 Sundays a year. 30 Sundays, I have 30 hours, and you have 8,000 hours to live. I've got 30 hours to bring the Word of God and shape the culture of the kingdom in you. So you can imagine the struggle. Just, God, I want to give this Word. I know how this helped me. I know it set me free. I've got such a tender conscience, I could be under condemnation all day and every day. But this gospel good news has set me free. It's kept my marriage going for nearly 31 years, getting better all the time. Grace, not marriage seminars, not the self-made man and your self-improvement, not my great power and my abilities, no, my weakness, grace. And the power of God has been made strong in us because of grace. So I want to dump this on everyone every week. I've got stuff I want to go on to right now, and I think, I know this will clinch the deal. They'll see it vividly then, once I give those illustrations, but I can't, all right? Even if you ask me nicely. No, <laughs> no, but we'll pick it up next week. All right, let's just, clo- let's just close it up with this Galatians 3, all right? Just, 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 just give it all you got now, okay? Full concentration. We're nearly finished. All right. Galatians 3, verse 10. Have you all got it? 
All right, verse 10. Or, say or. Okay, that includes everyone, excludes no one. All Buddhists, or Muslims, or Confucius, or religious people, or secular humanistic people, all atheists, all who rely on any kinds of laws to get themselves right with God. Let's read it, verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. There it is. Okay, verse 13. Christ, this, come on guys, we've got to shout. This is fantastic news now, come on. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that through faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Come on, give the Lord a shout there. Now, we're going to read a little bit further in this passage in literally a few minutes, and we're going to close. But listen now to this. Listen, this is a scripture. Most Christians don't know the Bible. Or they read it and they don't know what it's saying. pomegranates and bells and curtains and circles within circles. You'll never understand the Bible until you understand the main theme that runs like a vertebrae down through the middle of the Old and the New Testament. Once you understand grace, the plan of God for redemption, once you understand how man fell in the garden and the plan God initiated for redemption and how it operates in the grace of God and the three main covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the new covenant. Once you understand the distinctions of those covenants and grace, you can read the whole Bible and start seeing clarity and not being confused and condemned by the difficult scriptures. Because anything that seems to contradict grace and the new covenant, you go, I don't right understand that, but it can't, it can't be saying that. I better check the context, check it out with Rob or somebody, read a concordance. But I'm telling you, the Bible does not contradict itself. It is an incredible theme clear theme running through all the books of the Bible, written over thousands of years by men and women who never met each other, but supernatural continuity. A miraculous book that's God-breathed. So let's just listen to this now. Watch this. Just read from verse, uh, where are we, verse 15. All right? Listen carefully to the language. Don't be intimidated by it. You can understand it now. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but to and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later, that's after Abraham, does not set aside the covenant, does not set aside the covenant, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, that's with Abraham, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Verse 23, verse 23, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. 
So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Verse 29, another shouting close verse. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Notice the absolute singularity of the seed. The singularity of the seed is Jesus. Now it says singular, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. You are in the singular. You are in Christ. And everything that's Christ's inheritance is your inheritance as well. Apart from the law, and not those who fully obey and keep all the commands, but they simply believe that they are in Christ, and Jesus is, a, Jesus is the seed God made the promise to Abraham, and you are in the seed, which is Christ. Amen. So let me read you my comments on that. The promises of blessings were given to Abraham 430 years before the law arrived from Moses. Abraham did not have to keep the laws of God. They had not been given yet. Abraham did not have to keep the laws of God to get the blessings of God flowing in his life. They came from the promise. All Abraham had to do was believe God's promise to bless him. And the result was that Abraham was was blessed awesomely in every single area of his life. The law was introduced 430 years later, not to nullify the arrangement God had made with Abraham, but to humble Israel from self-righteousness so that they and us would turn away from the law and find refuge in Christ. God made the promise of his blessings to Abraham and to his seed singular, that is to Christ. We who are of faith, we who are of faith, receive the blessings of the promise God made to the singular seed because we are in Christ and therefore are the seed of Abraham in Christ Jesus. And so you can choose to live under inferior covenant, condemnation, guilt, and curse, or make a full transition from a mixture of law and grace to a covenant of pure grace. And every morning you wake up and say, Oh, Father, I thank you. I don't have to do a thing to earn blessings. I just believe I'm the seed of Abraham, and I'm redeemed from the curse of the law, and therefore I can flow in the Spirit, hear the voice of God, live in the presence of God. And if I do mess up, you're not counting my sins against me. It's not like I want to mess up, God, because I love you, Lord, and I don't want to mess up. But hey, if I do mess up, I don't have to run around and condemnation and wait three days to come in your presence again. I just say, Lord, I know I messed up, but thank you. not counting my sins against me. I'm in a new covenant based on better promises. I have a superior mediator, Jesus, my great high priest. He knows the feelings of my infirmities. He's been tempted by things that I have, but he never sinned, so he can mediate before the Father before me. And it is written over Rob's life, not guilty, not condemned, no sin being counted. Blessings, 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 blessings coming on me, overtaking me. Fullness of grace, blessings. Why would anyone want to mix the old and the new? How does it get right through the church around the world? Which built a witchcraft spirit. And that spirit was so upset last Sunday. And I don't want to provoke that spirit. It's not like I'm trying to provoke that spirit. I didn't even want to talk too much about demons or talk. I didn't talk to demons. I want to talk to... I want to talk about the blood of Jesus, the covenant of grace, the wonderful Father, the wonderful Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, the mediator. I want to talk about God, His kingdom, not about devils. Yeah, we've got to acknowledge the enemy's screams and strategies. We've got to know there's a witchcraft spirit out there. And we've got to talk about it sometimes. But I get very concerned with Christians who are always binding devils. And before the meeting, we've got to bind the devil and loose the Holy Spirit. Come on, the devil's already bound and the Holy Spirit is not bound. You don't have to loose him. Don't loose the Holy Spirit. He's already loose. You and I need to get loose. He's the spirit of liberty and freedom. I feel like a Mel Gibson anointing. Freedom! 
Come on, give the Lord a shot and you better. Now, you don't have to come back next week because you're not under law, but out of grace. Let's get together. You don't have to be there on Thursday night, but under grace, let's get together. Let Rigby and Sue come speak into our lives. Actually, Rigby Wallace, talking about William Wallace, Rigby Wallace is probably one of the best teachers I know in the world, and that's a fact. I'm not exaggerating. He's he's like a Bob Mumford. He's one of those clear teachers of the Word of God. And we're going to have a feast there on Thursday night. All right? So join us. But let's just... uh, I just think we need to break bread this morning. And those who need to go, obviously you can go, but we're not going to take a long time. You say, Rob, why don't we break bread every Sunday? Why don't we do that every Sunday? Folks, I believe that you can reduce breaking of bread, communion, the the table of the Lord, to a superstition. I believe we need to break bread with faith and revelation because that's the way to do it in a worthy manner. If you don't discern the Lord's body, if you don't discern the new covenant, if you don't discern what has happened at the cross, you're going to be weak and sick. And so let's enjoy the breaking of bread. Let's stand together. As we come now to take this communion, please don't do it with superstition. Do it with revelation. Do it with faith. This bread is not the literal body of Jesus. This is not his actual blood. We do not believe in transubstantiation. There's only one Jesus. He's in heaven. This symbolizes the blood. This symbolizes the body broken at the cross to redeem us from the curse of the law. But as we partake of these emblems, these symbols, Jesus presides. Jesus presides over this table, over this meal in a precious and supernatural way. And I know people have got miraculously healed just taking the bread or drinking the cup by faith. Because you are, you are entering in and partaking of the covenant blessings. All right, so we're going to do that. What we'll do is we just get a, a piece of, uh, we'll um, just pass it around. Now, I know some people get very, very nervous when I do this kind of thing. But folks, the cross was not a pretty picture. And the body was broken at the cross. And the blood was spilt to make that covenant sealed. And Jesus' body, we don't have to sit around mourning him like he was a martyr. He wasn't a martyr. He was a sacrifice for our deliverance. And so this is not a mournful thing about a dead martyr. This is a celebration of freedom in this covenant through a living, resurrected Lord of glory who's here to celebrate with us. We are free in Jesus' name. All right? So my hands are clean. I did wash them. But why don't you just, why don't you just break pieces of bread and just pass, just pass it back there. And uh, I'm not disrespecting by handling the, the, the bread like this. You know, imagine people having to come up and kneel before me and they can't touch the bread because, oh, that's the body of Jesus. And I, what makes me got right to touch it and then I slip it into your tongue? Come on, man. Every day you can break bread. Every day you break. Every meal's a breaking of bread Amen. and a celebrating. Amen. Let's just take this here and just pass it around there. Thank you. Thanks. Father, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the body that was broken on the cross and the blood that was shed for our deliverance and for us to come into a covenant. Thank you, wonderful Father, that you didn't bring us into this covenant arrangement, but Father, you cut the covenant with your Son. Outside of us, this event happened. Outside of our weaknesses, our fallibilities, we would have messed this up, but Father, you cut the covenant with your Son at the cross, and Holy Spirit, you administrate this great covenant in power. And it's all on our behalf. This is a covenant that cannot fail because of the fallibility of man. It's a covenant cut within the Trinity on our behalf. And don't, don't, don't eat or drink yet, although, again, you can if you want, but 
We're going to do it together. Now, don't allow a false religious, don't allow religious soberness. There is a holy soberness. There is a reflection. There is a meditation on, my, what an awesome covenant. But the, when you think about this covenant, it shouldn't bring depression. It should bring, oh, how wonderful you are, Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. Have you all got bread and wine? Now, this is grape juice because we want to honor people who may have a drinking problem. But if you want to change it to Cabernet Sauvignon, or no, sorry. Remember, no, we, we do this on purpose. We are using grape juice on purpose. Just so that people who do have drinking problems don't have to be put in an embarrassing situation. I know the early church did use real wine and there's nothing wrong with doing that today. But I think we need to cater for those as well. So let's just, let's just hold the bread up before the Father. Father, thank you that the very bread of life was broken open for us at the cross. And we partake of this symbol of that body by faith. As we eat this bread, by faith we are partaking of the grace that by His stripes we were healed. By the stripes laid on His back we were healed. And the punishment that was inflicted on Him is for our peace. We all like sheep had gone away astray and we've gone into sin under law. But Lord Jesus, You died for us all and justified us. Let's, let's thank You for the bread and, you, and go ahead and eat it. Thank You for the broken body, Lord. Amen. It's your blood that cleanses me. It's your blood that gives me life. It's your blood that took my place in redeeming That's a primitive religion. It's not primitive. Blood transfusion is not primitive. It's life-saving. This is a life-saving blood, friends. The life is in the blood, the Bible says. In Leviticus, the life of God shed, came to us through the very blood of the Lord Jesus. Drink of the blood even now by faith. Jesus said to the people of Israel in John chapter 6, He said, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. They walked away from him offended because they thought he was talking about cannibalism. They missed it. They were listening on a cerebral academic level. They missed revelation. They missed him. He was talking covenant language, kingdom language. They were listening with religious ears. They were judging and criticizing from religious ears. And they missed the greatest blessing that their, their jubilee was standing there right there offering them covenant. And they walked away critical because of religious ears, cerebral ears, rather than revelation ears. Lord, we drink of this blood by faith.
and there is no condemnation now or evermore you are free to worship me come dance and sing and shout day by day this is what it's all about it's about me and you me and you oh this is true i come as your bridegroom and i sing over you Yes, I dance over you. This is your day. May the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the wonderful Holy Spirit wrap His wonderful arms about you and bless you coming in and bless you going out. Bless all the work of your hands. I speak the blessing, Lord. Let the enemies that rise up in one direction be defeated and flee from you in seven different directions. May he bless the fruit of your womb. May he bless your womb. May he bless your coming and your going. May he make you the head only and not the tail. Above only and not beneath. May all financial debt be broken and may the abundance of prosperity increase upon your life. May the Lord shine His face upon you and may His countenance keep you in His presence and in His peace. Let the shalom of God be made manifest in the wonderful covenant name of the Lord Jesus. And we thank you for it. El Elyon, Most High God, we bless you, Jehovah Righteousness, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sitkenu, Jehovah Shama. We bless you, O living God. Oh, El Elyon, we bless you. We bless you. We bless you, Adonia. We bless you, living God. God of Israel, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We bless you. You are our God, and we are your seed, and we exalt you, Lord, and we magnify you in Jesus' name. Come on, give him one more shout. Hey! Woo-hoo-hoo. Oh! I tell you, one day we're just going to start a service in the morning. We're just going to go through the whole day. And the presence of God is going to get stronger and stronger. Have a great day, guys. Walk in His presence. Enjoy Him. And uh, there is tea and coffee and stuff there. So if you can stay, please stay and enjoy some fellowship. We understand because of the time, I'm sure people, some have to rush off. Yeah. So God bless you. Thank you for being so responsive today.